0: we are jumping in today to our new series uh, divided it's a series on uh, it's a series on politics but but really more than that it's a series that has to do with uh, who God is what he's instituted and, and in terms of government and political things how he's called us as Christians to respond so there's a couple things that we're not going to accomplish in these next few weeks together as we deal with this series. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, okay? I, in fact, I'll say this. I said it last um, hour. I'll say it again. I'm not even going to tell you that there's a right and a wrong way to vote, and some of you, that will give you relief, and some of you, that'll make you angry with me, but, but here's, here's what I will say. We are going to talk very specifically in this series about how to understand what God says here, and how to use our understanding of what God says here, the truth that he shares, uh, and, and his will, and how that should inform our decisions that we make politically. And I think that we can do that. We can use this word to, to influence the decisions that we make politically. And if we do that well, I think that no matter how you vote or who you vote for or what that is, that you can feel like you've honored God in the process if this is your foundational understanding in going to vote. okay. And I think you and I can, can vote for different people. And we can both still be very much impactful, growing Christians, as long as it has less to do with how I feel, less to do with how you feel, and more to do with what the Word of God says and how we use that to make decisions that we think will honor God politically. All right? And so if you thought that you were going to come and I was going to tell you um, what to do, that's not it. Right? Right? If you're curious, you're like, but are you even going to tell us who you're going to vote for? No, I'm not, right? Not in this arena. If you want to come talk to me privately, privately, I will be happy to share with you how I'll vote and why I will vote that way. But in this context, you don't need to know and I don't need to tell you, right? Because I think the word of God will show us what we need to know to make decisions that honor God, okay? But we're going to be jumping into politics, and here's the thing with politics, as Lisa said, it's divisive, it's hard, it's rough. Danger. Um, there are warnings, right? It's difficult to navigate. It's all over the place. Carrie and I were at dinner the other night. Uh, where did we go? I said in the first service we were watching TV. We weren't watching TV. I was reminded of this when uh, between, but, but we were at the Crooked Antler. And we were at the Crooked Antler and we're sitting there having dinner. I had, like, these waffle fry cheddar bacon things. They're delicious. If you haven't had those, you should go get some, right? And I don't work there. It's not like they're paying me, but they were really good, right? Anyway, um, and as we're sitting there, we noticed that that on the TV behind me and and behind her, that I think out of, like, eight commercials, I think we saw six political campaign commercials because this is that time of year, and that's going on. And, And so it's everywhere, and it's not nice right there's a lot of bitterness there's a lot of anger there's a lot of hatred there's a lot of vitriol there's just a lot of this tension and it's not different for christians right we we either love politics or we hate politics or we hate that we love politics or we love to hate it or who knows what but but this is a big all consuming thing right and there are all these hot button issues and we aren't sure what to do with them politically Right? We're not sure what to do, right? We, we've got, got abortion, immigration, gun laws, LGBTQ issues, right? And, and we've got to figure out what is separation of church and state. And we've got to figure out what is freedom of religion? What does that mean for Christians? What does it mean for people of other faiths? And we have to try to navigate all of this. And then for Christians, it gets even more difficult because How do we figure out who to vote for? Because anybody that claims Christian ethic doesn't matter who they are, turns around and seemingly does things to contradict Christian ethic. And so we find ourselves in this weird position where it just gets difficult to navigate. Okay, and so what we need to do is we need to figure out what works and we need to figure out What transcends in the moment feeling and we need to figure out what it is that a Christian is supposed to do to navigate this well and I just want to tell you this first and foremost as a foundational understanding as we start the series are you ready relax it's gonna be okay the problem is this when I interact with Christians that are very political and that's great be political Be involved, right? Be concerned, be active, vote, do all of those things. But when I interact with Christians that are very political, what happens too often, far too often, is we tend to act like this is the end of everything. Like somehow, if it doesn't go the way that I wanted it to go, the way that I'm sure it's supposed to go, if it doesn't work the way that I want it to work, that everything is ruined, everything is going to fall apart, and tragedy will ensue. And listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. From the bottom of my heart, as pastorally as I can say this and as pastorally as you can accept it, knock it off. It's going to be okay. See, here's the problem. When somebody does not know Jesus Christ as their savior, it makes sense that politically they would get worked up. When someone does not know Jesus Christ, when someone has no hope in the God of the universe, it makes sense it makes sense that they would get really worked up over politics. Here's why. Because their hope is in themselves and in their fellow man, and the best ideas they can come up with. When you don't know Jesus, when you're not trusting God, the best you've got is your best idea and my best idea and the best system we can put together. That has to be all of our hope. And so when people don't know Jesus, it makes sense for them to pour so much hope into politics listen, if you know Jesus, then you have a hope that transcends all of that. And you know that your best idea isn't all that special, and other people's best ideas, and it's important and it matters, but ultimately that's not where our hope is found. We know that the hope is found in something bigger and stronger and all-consuming, the God who creates and sustains everything. So listen, everything is going to be okay. Be concerned Be active, be involved, but do not wrap all of your hope up into the political process. Too many times, Christians do not look different than anybody else when it gets to this. And guys, we have to look different. Because we should believe different. We should think different. And if we really have eternal hope, listen to me, if we really have eternal hope, then we really ought to act like we have eternal hope. That's just all there is to it. All right, so we're going we're gonna to jump in here, and, and there's a couple of things that I just want to share today that are foundational, that'll feed where we go in the rest of the series. I'll say this. I, if you've got questions that, that you really want to know uh, politically or um, about how Christians ought to view certain things in the world— uh, I'm going to encourage you, there's a box out in, in front of the TV in the lobby. There's some note cards and some pens. Write down your questions and put them in the box. Pastor David and I will do our best to answer those throughout this series, and then for sure we will deal with those as we podcast every other week. Uh, we'll be answering some of those questions as you have them. So ask whatever you have, and, and, and we will do our best to tackle those. All right. Do you, do you imagine when it comes to politics that it would feel different if you felt like the people that were representing you actually had your best interest, it might actually had your best interest at heart when they represented you. I think it might feel different if we really trusted that that was true. But here's the problem, and I think we're all smart enough to know this, that we've kind of been lied to, and we've kind of been taken advantage of, maybe not by every specific individual, but by the system as a whole right? Like, I mean, you, you get this, right? Like, like all Democrats, um, they are not overly invested in everything that comes up on their platform, right? I don't believe for a hot second that, that Democrats are overly concerned with, as, as an entire platform, overly concerned with LGBTQ issues. But yet, by using that as a rallying cry, what happens is, They can bring people to their side. But listen, I don't think for a hot second that Republicans, as a platform, are overly concerned with religious, moral, Christian ethic either. But instead, I think they use that as a rallying cry for their platform to bring people to their side. And ultimately, the concern there is not for the good of people as much as it's for the securing of power and prominence and position and so as Christians as we navigate this it becomes really difficult to know what do we trust what's real and here's what I want you to know as we start just as a foundational understanding no matter what there is one in charge that has your best interest at heart there is one in charge that you can trust implicitly. There is one in charge that definitely cares and, and has concern for you and that tells you the truth, right? And this is the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to look, I want you to look in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. This is talking about the incarnation, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, because for through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. See, through Jesus, God creates everything. And so we can say, well, it would be great if our president, if, if our mayor, if our governor, if all of the leaders, it would be great if they all had our best interest in mind. I can't promise you that they will. In fact, I can promise you that probably rarely they will. But there is one over them, the one supremely in charge, the one in charge of all things that absolutely has your best interest in mind. For Through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. And here's, here, here's the deal. This is why we say that he is over everything. The things we can see and the things we can't see, including thrones, kingdoms, rulers, even authorities in the unseen world. Everything is created through him and for him. And listen to me. He existed before anything, and he holds it all together. Everything exists, not because God created it once and then left it alone. Everything exists because God creates it. Everything is created in him and through him and for him, and it's created, listen, and it's maintained by him. Not only did he create it and institute it, but he holds it together actively. And that includes all government. That includes all authority, all powers, all principalities, all rulers. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities, even in the unseen world. Listen, God is primary over all of this. And we need to understand that. We need to have this foundational understanding. So as we enter into this, Right? That we can start to navigate what does God say about politics and about government and how Christians get involved. So it starts with this: God is in control, He has instituted it all, and He is over it all. So therefore, if there's truths we can learn in Scripture, right, we know that they supersede everything. Because God is over everything. Right? So this is where we're gonna jump into. There are eight principles that I want to share with you eight truths about God and government and we're going to get these straight from scripture this isn't Matt thinks this is here's what the word of God tells us and we're going to jump into these and it starts with this truth number one which is simply this God is sovereign and has ordained all things including human government for the good of man see that word sovereignty what sovereignty means is is control. The fact that we read in Colossians 1, 16, and 17, that it's through God, through Christ, that all things are created. Nothing exists that wasn't created by him. It isn't for him, and he upholds it all. That makes him sovereign. Sovereign means in control. Because he is sovereign, he is in control of all things. Right? So what happens is what he ordains. When he ordains something, he makes it be. Right? Right? So God is sovereign and has ordained all things that exist, including human government, and he has done it for the good of man. Don't hate the government. Can't hate the government. God created the government. Why did he create the government? For the good of man. Does it always work out for the good of man? Not always. Not always. But God creates government for the good of mankind. That was his decision for his good pleasure, for our good, he creates government. It exists for us. Look, Psalm 22, 28 tells us he's over it all. He's sovereign. Royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all nations. And Then we get into Romans 13. Kevin read some of this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from where? Comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. He has done that. He is sovereign and he's ordained it. He has Put governments in place. He has put people in positions of authority by his own power for our good. The authorities are God's servants. Why are they sent? For your good. But if you do wrong, well, of course you should be afraid because they have the power to punish you. They're God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So we read this that that God has created and instituted government. Why? for the benefit of humanity. Government exists to aid in human flourishing. Listen to me, some of you, not all of you, probably not even very many of you. There's probably like one random person out there. Government is not inherently evil. It's good and it's right. It's instituted by God for the flourishing of mankind. God does this, and here's the deal. God knows what he's doing, right? God knows what he's doing, and there's something there for us to wrap our head around here. If God has instituted government, right, if God has put those in authority in place and he holds them in place, remember, it doesn't happen unless he upholds it. He's put them in place. He holds them in place. Whether you like them or not, they are God's servant, Whether you voted for them or not, they are God's servant in place at his will. Now, some of you are thinking, Matt, that can't possibly be true of some of these politicians. Some of these politicians are evil and awful. God can't possibly have put them in authority. I want to remind you when Paul writes this. Paul writes this at the height of Roman power with Emperor Nero in control. Emperor Nero who hated Christians with a passion burned their houses of worship threw their families in jail persecuted killed crucified threw them in pits with lions so that they would be ripped apart Nero hated Christians and yet Paul at the height of his power says hey all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So listen, I know some of us have issues with some of our politicians. But listen, if Paul could say about Nero, God put him in this position for a reason, then we can say about our politicians the same thing. God has put them in position for a reason, whether we like them or not. And part of that means that we need to honor them. I'm not saying we always will agree with them, but we do need to honor. Some of us have made too big of a habit of being dishonoring towards people that God has put in positions of authority over us. And we need to stop. We need to stop. We need to honor those that God has put in positions of authority. We don't always agree with, but we do need to honor. We think of it like honoring our parents. I have parents that I love. And I want to honor them. I don't always agree with them. And because they're no longer my primary authority, I don't always do what they say. I don't always do what they tell me to do. Right? But I always show honor and respect. That's my role. That's the role that God's put us with, with people over us. We keep going. Right? too. God desires to draw all nations and people to himself. This matters. This is important. Here's what I want you to know about this. Um, America, the United States, is not the focal point of God's plan. We are not the culmination of God's plan. Are we blessed? Absolutely. Have we received much freedom and blessing? Yes. Yes. Will much be expected of us in return? Absolutely. Are we the pinnacle of God's achievement? Are we the purpose? Absolutely not. Right? We are not everything. We are not the epitome of what God's trying to accomplish. God is trying to draw all nations and all peoples to himself. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. That's Israel and every other nation are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. God's desire is for all people throughout the world to come to know him. Three, God disciplines nations according to their deeds. This is something we need to wrap our heads around, and this is one of the reasons why our vote matters. This is one of the reasons why we do engage politically. Our hope isn't in the political system, but we engage politically because the truth is this. God disciplines nations according to their deeds. He raises up nations, and listen to me, He will bring nations low. Jeremiah 18, 7-10 says it this way, If I announce, this is God talking through the prophet, If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. So, first things first, we understand that God does command and decree that some nations be uprooted, torn down and destroyed. It says, but if I decree that, and then the nation renounces its evil ways, I won't destroy it as I had planned. Well, guess what? That, that should make you remember Nineveh, right? In the Old Testament, Nineveh is, is Jonah, uh, reluctantly takes the message of God's um, revealed will to the people of Nineveh, and he says, hey, God is going to destroy you because you're wicked and you're evil. You're terrible. You know it. I know it. God knows it. And here's what's going to happen. He is going to completely destroy you. It starts with the leadership in Nineveh. They repent. They command all of the people to repent. They all put on um, sackcloth and cover themselves in ash and they repent of their wickedness and they say, God, we're sorry and we want to be better. What does God do? He relents. He does not destroy them. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I'll not bless it as I said I would. I'll bring it low. God disciplines nations and the discipline of God towards nations has to do very clearly with this. With their morality and their choosing to follow him. They're choosing to honor him in the way that they live and in the things that they do. And when those nations repent, God brings blessing. And when those nations go their own way and do their own things, God brings discipline. God disciplines nations. We are not exempt from that. As a nation, we face God's discipline. Now, I'm not gonna stand up here and I'm not gonna tell you what hard things happen in this country are a result of God's discipline against us because I'm not God. And anybody that stands uh, in front of you and or, or puts on your social media feed or wants you to know that something that happened was a result of God's discipline, listen—they don't know either. But here's what we do know: we do know that God promises in His Word that He will bring discipline on nations when they do not follow His revealed will. We keep going. Right? Not only will God discipline nations, but God will discipline rulers of nations. Stands to reason, if he'll discipline the nation, then he'll also discipline the ruler of that nation. But rulers of nations, have they have a great burden. Look what, look what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. Talking to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. Listen, He removes kings, and he sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. This is just the truth of God's word, that God himself will remove kings, and he will set up kings. He will put rulers and people in power, and he will remove rulers and people in power says it here in Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is Daniel talking to the king. Again, not agreeing with him, disagreeing with his choices and disagreeing with some of the things he does, but showing honor. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what's right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Perhaps then God will not remove you. See, this is Daniel coming to Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, look, God put you in a position of leadership and authority, right? Right? For the good of people. And you are bringing evil. You're not bringing righteousness and justice. You're bringing evil and injustice on people. And you've got to knock that off. And he says, so please listen to me. Please stop doing that. Turn from sin. Stop being wicked. Repent of all this. Start being merciful to the poor. Start being interested in justice and righteousness. Because if you start being interested in justice and righteousness, then maybe, just maybe, God will relent and you can continue to prosper. See, Daniel understands something and he shares it with Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, no matter how powerful you are, you aren't bigger than God. And God has put you in this position very specifically for the benefit of humanity and you're jacking it up. And if you keep jacking it up, then guess what? Discipline is coming. And and, and sometimes we wonder, why doesn't discipline come a little faster for our leaders? <laughs> right? I mean, we know that a lot of our leaders need discipline, right? Because they aren't in it for the good of humanity and and they're not trying to build up righteousness and justice in the world, but instead they're they're kind of doing things for their own gain. And by the way, that should inform how we vote. If God has put government in position and leaders in position for the benefit of humanity, then we ought to be voting for leaders who aren't looking out for their own interest, but instead are looking out for the interest of people. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes they break their promises. Sometimes they're not who we thought they were. Sometimes people get elected anyway, or people come to power anyway. And we're like, okay, God, where's the discipline? And all we can say about this is that God's discipline is perfect, and God's timing is perfect. And God looks through an eternal lens, an eternal perspective, and sometimes it doesn't happen right when we think it should. But ultimately, God is in control, and he disciplines nations, and he disciplines leaders. Five. In general, this is a tough one, in general, disobedience to human government is disobedience to God. There are some exceptions. okay, But in general, disobedience to government is disobedience to God. Look at what it says in Romans. We already looked at this, but let's look again. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Okay, so here's the deal. You don't have to like everything that the government does, or everything that the government institutes. But, More often than not, you are called by God to comply. You may not love paying taxes. I don't love paying taxes. I think they take too much away from me for taxes. Right? I mean, I appreciate when they pick up my garbage. I appreciate this one time in Bettendorf when I had a fire because I forgot to blow out the blueberry candle in the basement. You know this story, right? The blueberry candle, I lit it. It was in the basement. It was in a candle holder. came from the family Christian bookstore. And you would think if anything, I know, right? Shoddy workmanship. You would think if anything was going to be flame resistant, flame retardant, it would be a candle holder. But no, the candle holder caught on fire, caught the wall on fire, and the fire department had to come and I called them and listen, put tax dollars at work. They came, they put out the fire, no problems. This is a side note, but you know when it's like three in the morning and they just put out a fire in your house and the guy in charge, what do they call him, the captain, the fire marshal, the very imposing guy, and he says, I'm doing a report, like, what kind of candle was it? Don't say blueberry. (laughs) Because you think you're being funny. He won't think so at three in the morning after he came to your house to put out a fire. He won't think that blueberry was the right answer. Anyway, doesn't matter. But, but I like my tax dollars working for those things, but there's a lot of things we pay taxes for that I wish I wasn't paying taxes for. But here's the deal. I can't just stop paying taxes because I don't agree. And if you stop paying taxes because you don't agree, then if I'm understanding the word of God correctly, then you are rebelling against God. And I know that sounds harsh, I know it sounds like a lot, but, but we can't take the word of God and say, well, this is all true if I like what it says, but you're wrong and it's misinterpreted if I don't like what it says. No, 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 this is the word of God and this is real. And I read this and it says, hey, look, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And so if you decide I'm not going to follow authority, I'm not going to follow laws, I'm not going to follow the government because I don't like them, well, then you're rebelling against God. I mean, that's just the way that it is. That's the word of God laid out. We can't make it say something different. Now, there are times where God seems to make exceptions. But here, I want you to listen really carefully about these exceptions. One, they're few and far between. And these exceptions are very much about times when the law of the land completely contradicts the revealed will of God in acts 5 peter and the disciples have healed someone who was lame and they've been telling everybody hey we didn't heal him through our own power we healed him through jesus power the sanhedrin the ruling class the ruling council of the nation of israel brings paul or i'm sorry brings peter and all of the disciples before them and says hey Here's the deal. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop preaching Jesus. And Peter says, well, here's the deal, guys. The last thing Jesus said was to go tell everybody about Jesus. So here I've got the the exact, direct, authoritative, revealed will of God that says, tell people about Jesus And I've got human leaders in authority saying, don't tell anybody about Jesus. These now are in direct conflict. So Peter says, hey, we got to follow God, not man. Says to them, you decide what's right, but we have to follow God. And there are times when we will have to choose to follow God's revealed will instead of the law of the land, but there aren't that many. We read another one in Exodus 1, right? Pharaoh, because Israel is enslaved to the Egyptians, but they're becoming so numerous that Pharaoh says this to the midwives. He says, here's what I want you to do. You go to the birth. If it's a girl, let it live. If it's a boy, take it and throw it in the river and kill it. And they they walk away and they refuse, right? Because God's revealed will says, hey, murder is bad. I mean, it says more than that, but we can sum it up with murder is bad. So what do they do? They lie. And they say, Pharaoh says, why aren't you killing all the boys? And they're like, well, by the time we get there, these Israelite women are so strong, they just give birth without us, and we didn't have a chance. Right? They lie. Right? Because following God's revealed will trumps following the law of the land. We were about in Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are ordered by Nebuchadnezzar to bow down and worship the statue of gold that that is a symbol of the false god of Babylon. Worship the statue. He says, I'm going to play the music. You're going to get on your hands and knees, and you're going to worship this god. And they say, no. Oh, good king. We're not. God maybe will save us. God maybe won't. But, But we are not going to worship your god. We are going to worship Yahweh, the god of the universe. And that's it. Do what you will. And so we see there are moments in Scripture where we can, we can refuse to comply, right, with government authority. But here's what I want you to understand, and this is the part that will sting a little bit, okay? Here's the deal. It's a matter of when you argue with authority and when you disobey authority, you are only in the right if you are respectfully disobeying authority because it contradicts God's revealed will. You are not in the right if you disrespectfully obey authority for any reason and you are not in the right to disobey authority because you don't like it. And we gotta be really clear about what's in God's word and what's not. Right? Like, like there are things about abortion that we need to resist because God's revealed will has told us that murder is wrong. There are things about, again, the LGBTQ community and, and, and that movement that we as a church need to say, no, we're not going to have any part of those things because God's revealed. And we're not mad at anybody, but, but we won't participate in things. Why? Because God's word is clear. There are other things, though, Christian, there are other things that you sometimes, I sometimes, we sometimes want to elevate to being like it's a word from God when it's not. And we got to knock that off. Right? Like, like when it comes to things like immigration. Like you can have your opinion on immigration. I can have my opinion on immigration. We can advocate for our own opinions on immigration. But guess what? God has not clearly dictated what this should or shouldn't be, and so ultimately we are responsible for following the authority that's in place. Refugee resettlement. Oh man, this one's gonna make you mad. Listen, I wanna pause. I'm gonna step over here, and I'm just gonna say, look, I'm with you. I want you to have your guns, right? You have guns, that's awesome. I want you to have them. And I'm gonna come back over here, and pastorally I'm gonna say, gun rights are in there. Right? Like, like, I want you to advocate for that. I want you to, to, to legally, I want you to vote. I want you to do these things. I want you to, you know, to, but ultimately what it comes down to when God reveals his will, right, and says this is the right way to be, you must comply with that. Otherwise, listen, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. We get involved in the political process. We have to be involved in the political process to maintain these rights. But ultimately, we must, when it comes down to it, we must be obedient to the authority that God's put in place unless it violates the stated, direct, revealed will of God. Otherwise, we're in danger. And I'm not telling you that like, like, because I think, hey, this is going to make me popular. I'm telling you that because I think that's what I understand in the word of God. I can't understand Romans 3... Uh, 13 1 and 2 any other way we keep going six the ordained purpose of government are the commendation of good the punishment of evil and the maintenance of peace and protection of the oppressed this is why God is put in government uh remember we said that God has instituted all things including human government for the good of humanity here's what that good is commendation of good right? Punishment of evil, maintenance of peace, protection of the oppressed. First Peter 2, 13 and 14, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of the state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do good, right? The punishment of evil and the commendation of good is the goal of government. I urge you, First Timothy, this is about the peace. I urge you, first of all, pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them, Oh, man, this one's tough. Pray. Pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. You are to pray for your leaders, whether you like them or not, whether they're the person you voted for or not. And I'm not just talking about your president, but all of your leaders. We've got to stop. Listen, some of us ought to be ashamed and ought to just hardcore repent over our social media. Because you can't tell me, when you go back and you look through some of your social media, you can't tell me that you're taking seriously the command to honor those in authority over you. I mean, our posts are belittling, right? They're they're, they're name-calling Right? They, they, they do nothing to elevate, but they put down instead. And I'm not talking about agreeing with everything, but showing honor. Some of us need to repent from that. Some of us need to go and look through and clean up our, our, our feeds. Because it's not awesome. And we are Christians, and we are supposed to be honoring God. We can't stand on this moral high ground and say, well, these things we must obey because that's us following God's revealed will, when over here we can actively dismiss God's revealed will. It doesn't make any sense. But we are to be praying for and pursuing peace. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful, quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Some of us are marked by a lot of things that aren't godliness and certainly aren't dignity when it comes to how we um, treat and talk about and interact with those that are in authority over us. Seven. Government will never fully or permanently fix what's wrong because it can't remove sin from the human heart. We engage in politics and we work hard. But we're smart enough to know that politics will never fix everything. There is no utopia that we are going to accomplish and achieve for ourselves. See, this is the difference between those of us that know Christ and those that don't. Those that don't engage in politics like it is our last, only, best hope. Those of us that know Christ know that our last, only, best, perfect hope is Jesus Christ. But the government will never fully and permanently fix what's wrong because it can't remove sin from our heart. Look at this. Jeremiah, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know how bad it really is? And it gets worse than that, right? So, so the hope, the promises that people make, and we don't know what we can trust or not because the human heart is deceitful, but it's worse than that. Even people who are fundamentally trying to do best, that are trying to do everything the right way, listen, it doesn't work because we're all infected and impure because of sin. So what Isaiah tells us. We're all infected. We're all impure. When we display our righteous deeds, they actually are nothing more than filthy rags. So when you have the best intentions in mind, and when politicians have the best of intentions in mind, and they do things with the best heart that they have, it's still deceitful and wicked. And when they do the best acts and the most righteous acts that they can come up with, guess what? Still, ultimately, they're like filthy rags because we're flawed, sinful human beings. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So our hope can never be in government, but our hope is always, listen, true hope is found in jesus christ and his church and not in the government true hope is found in jesus christ and the power of that hope is found in the church can i tell you something and we're going to get into this next week is this again this is foundational for the series and will kick us off where we're going but i want you to understand something and we'll talk more about this next week but here's the deal we aren't citizens of this place Right, I mean, you may be a citizen of this country. You may not be, whatever. But, but, but here's what biblically, what we understand from Scripture is we are citizens as Christians of heaven. We don't live here on our home soil. We work and operate on foreign soil. We are ambassadors of grace who exist here for the glory of God and our citizenship is with him in heaven. We're gonna talk more about what that means next week, but, but just understand that, listen, your hope is not ever going to be found in any human institution. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. Strength for today. Hope for the future And the hope of salvation, I told you there were like six out of eight commercials were were campaign ads and speeches and a lot of promises and a lot of well-intentioned things and a lot of hope. But that's not hope we can count on. But the hope we can count on is the person of Jesus Christ. And as we we, we wrap up today, we're gonna celebrate communion and it's just celebrating and reveling in that hope that's ours. Ask the men to come forward, ask the, the praise team. Uh, to come forward. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate communion and and we're just going to celebrate this hope that's ours in Christ. And it's bigger than any other hope you have. Remember, I I keep going back to the same thing, but here's what I keep saying. It's like there is a moment, right, where where people that don't know God, people that don't know Jesus, that aren't in a saving relationship with Jesus, they are going to put all of their hope in politics because that's the best they can do. We don't have to put all of our eggs in that basket. We don't have to put our hope there. Listen, we have hope in the God of the universe. Strength for today, hope for tomorrow. Salvation that's sure. Because this is what he's done for us. Remember I said like our hearts are deceitful and wicked and who can know them? And that even our best actions are like filthy rags because we're mired in sin. But while we were mired in sin, here's what happened. The God of the universe loved us with a passionate, unconditional, committed kind of love, and he sent his one and only son who willingly came, whose body was broken, and who hung on a cross. And in hanging on the cross, he took all of my pain, all of my sin, all of my punishment, everything that was due me for my wrong, because my heart is wicked and my best actions are like filthy rags. He took all of that on himself on the cross. And as he died, he was taking my punishment, your punishment, on himself. And his blood was poured out. And he conquered the grave. And in doing so, he ushered us in. When we decide to follow him and trust him, he ushered us into this new relationship, this new covenant, this new thing with the God of the universe where our sins are forgiven and we're made right. So we can have strength for today. We don't have to be afraid of tomorrow because we have hope and our salvation is secure. It's not found in some political thing and finally getting it right. It's sure and it's in Christ.